Our first reading from the book of Proverbs in the 25th chapter. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for heights and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is in unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading from the letter to the Hebrews in the 13th chapter. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to, go, or to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as, though, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. From Luke's gospel in the 14th chapter. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him very carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him, healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, 
Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, I'm saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together into your presence. Do you bring us into a place to work by your Spirit as we hear your word? We pray that you remove distractions from our hearts and minds and that uh, we know of the honor of which you bring us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. When you look at different cultures around the world, there's really an interesting kind of phenomenon that happens. There's really about three different kinds of culture groups. Uh, there's a uh, fear and power kind of dichotomy of a culture group. Uh, we don't necessarily see that as much in our context. What we see in the Western world more often than not is a guilt and innocence type culture group. And if you listen to the news enough, and if you listen to conversations enough, you'll know what that sounds like. When somebody has done something, other people say, you've done something wrong. You need to apologize for that. Or, you know, you need to be tried of one sort or another. But it's usually focused in upon an action of some sort of somebody having done something wrong, hurt somebody. Um, but with that, there's usually some kind of repayment and then we might consider them worthy to come back into society or into certain circles again. We might wash that away. Might not. Because it is kind of interesting in our culture that more often than not, if, something's done some, if somebody has done something wrong, we, we demand an apology from them, but the culture doesn't necessarily offer forgiveness or restoration. They just want to hear somebody say they're sorry. And, I mean, maybe that's just because they may not have the words of forgiveness necessarily. They don't really know how to respond to that apology. Uh, very interesting in the gospel reading today, Jesus starts in that question of legality. He's invited over to a dinner at the Pharisees in the very next line, and they were watching him closely, right? Jesus is on the way to the cross. They're trying to find some sort of way to discount his ministry, to make it invalid, to see what line he has crossed that then means they no longer have to listen to him or pay attention to him or 
that they can just remove him from the equation. And so as they're watching him closely, a man who is sick, uh, edema, can't release bodily fluids. Dropsy is what they called it in that one translation. Um, Unclean, right? If you go back into the laws of Deuteronomy and everywhere else, it mentions an uncleanness about this situation. Why he's there, we don't know. How he got into a Pharisee's dinner, not sure. But he's there. And so Jesus, again, you can imagine him with a little smirk on his face as he knows the hearts and thoughts of the Pharisees and he sees this man walk into the dinner and he's going, oh, this is a good teaching moment. So what do you think? Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? Imagine the Pharisees kind of dumbstruck for a second, knowing that they're going to get caught in their words one way or another. And so they just kind of stop and they just watch him carefully smiles, heals the guy, sends him off, and he goes, which one of you who has a son or an ox, because they're equal, would be you know, caught in a trench somewhere, and would you not immediately pull it out of that trench, whether it's your son or an ox? You would do what's right in that situation, even if it's the Sabbath, because you know that thing needs to be done. They're caught in their own words of the law. But then we get a shift and this is the other culture group, that we don't speak about a lot in the Western culture, but you all know it really, really well. Shame and honor. Start with honor for a second. If you were to talk about honorable things, your mind might immediately go to the military, right? When folks are honored for their service, honored for their sacrifice, honored in their death, Honored in their years of service, honored in whatever they have done in there. It's one way that we hear of honor. Another way might be a dinner or a retirement party, and you have an honored guest, right? You have that honored person that's there. Everybody's focused around them. Their attention is focused on that one person. And that honor is something that's wonderful. But what about shame? See, we don't talk in the words of shame a lot. We usually use words like disrespect or um, even the opposite of that, respect, right, if we're not being shameful. Uh, sometimes nowadays you hear the phrase body shaming, right? That's, that's where we might hear that word shame. But think of some of the situations where you've experienced shame. Because as a big culture, we may not delve into shame and honor very much, but there's a lot of little cultures within big cultures. So if we go into little cultures, I first want you to think of junior high. Think of the times, and instead of using the word shame, I want you to think of these words. Um, Unable to live up to an expectation that somebody has for you. Whether or not that expectation is proper or right, but some little subculture or group has said, this is what it looks like to be part of us, and you're not living up to be that part of us, or we're going to make fun of you to kick you out of being that part of us. You know what shame feels like more than anything. And as we think of that shame that gets focused in upon us, I think the difference is that you might have done something wrong and feel guilt for that, but it doesn't overwhelm your identity. Shame starts to overwhelm your identity. It starts to become really personal. 
We can push off things we've done wrong and say, that was a bad thing I did then, but that's no longer part of things. I did that one time, I'm not going to do it again, and then I do it again. And then I push it off again, and it gets categorized off into this other area, but it doesn't identify me. Shame, though, can be very overwhelming. Okay, it's moved from junior high. Work groups within a work setting. Coworkers might be one area. Social media might be another area. Whenever expectations are set for a particular level and people don't live up to it or someone posts something that they're excited about and somebody else just needs to break it down to show them their place. Other things in life, uh, gangs, mob, churches. Have you ever seen different little groups and cliques start to not work together in a church? Somebody may be taking on shame for whatever reason, whether it's proper or not. Families. You see, in a shame and honor society, which we see in a lot of Eastern cultures, a shame and honor society, you're going to have something that goes on within a family. And when that one person has done something wrong, an inappropriate action, that then causes shame, not only upon themselves, but shame upon the family. So that person and the family now have a decision. If you've ever read military stories of some of the Japanese soldiers or go back into Paul's day with the Roman soldiers and think of the scripture in Acts when all of the jails opened and all of the doors opened and the soldier that was there that was watching over things took his sword out and was about to take his life because that shame of not being there for his post, not standing up to the expectation of his position. That shame wrecked him to a point to where the honorable thing to do would be to kill himself. You see the same thing in other military cultures. In fact, when we don't talk through it enough in even our U.S. military cultures, sometimes that shame overwhelms our soldiers enough to where they would want to take their own life too. See, on an individual level, shame can leave us in despair. At a family level, more often than not, what happens? Well, that person gets disowned. So that their shame is no longer a part of the family name. It's removed from the setting. It's pushed out and away from anything that would affect the family. So when people come in and they say, what about your family? What about that kid? They say, we don't know that kid. We don't know that one anymore. Our honor is maintained. And they sit alone in their shame. As Jesus is talking about the dinner and he's noticing the guests as they walk in. And this might be something that we connect with just a little bit. See, as a culture, not just community Lutheran culture, it's not exactly it. As a wider culture of people, more often than not, we want to come into a particular setting and present ourselves in a way to where we look confident and able and present and living up to every expectation possible and so we want to come in and we kind of self-diagnose where we stand in a group of people and jesus is watching the same thing happen around this table at the pharisee's house people are walking in and say the foot of the table is over here and the head of the table which in their day sometimes was the center they're they're moving closest to where the host would sit how close can we be to the one of can we be to the one who is leading things? How close can we be to that one? Because the closer I am to them, the more honorable 
I look as I sit in their kind of shadow of honor. But how embarrassing it would be for the host to come up and say, that seat's not yours. Move down. Think of it this way. Go to a wedding and you see the head table. Don't sit at the head table. That's too much. Don't do that one. See the head table there, and you know that close to the head table, there's probably a couple of family tables, and you know this because there's a better bottle of wine on those tables, and there's probably a more beautiful centerpiece, and there may even be name cards. If you move someone's name card, come on, that's too much. But if you see, look around, and there's free seating, you're like, that table looks really good. I'm going to go sit at that table, and you sit over there, and then the mother of the bride comes by you're going to get told pretty quick that you need to move. And if she doesn't do it, the best man, and if the bride or the groom have to come tell you to move, oh, goodness, you might as well just leave. But you know what that feels like in that setting. If you were kicked out of that seat and had to move down, you know that everybody else looking around is going, look it over there, look it over there, like they go push over here, right? There's a shamefulness to being pushed out of a position when we overstep our bounds, when we overstep our authority, when we overstep our position in the midst of that group. Because that's a shamefulness that we kind of bring upon ourselves in that part, right? So Jesus points out to the guests, look, when you come in, have a little humility. Walk in. Let the host seat you where you need to be, right? And he turns right around after that and he goes over to the host himself and he says, look, I see who you've invited and you've brought some really honorable people around and I know that you're bringing them in and whatever the motivation is, whether you just really like their presence or whether you really like the notoriety of the rest of the town, knowing that all those folks were there for dinner at your place or whether you know that you just want to make a connection because they've got a better wine cellar than you do. There's a lot about wine in this. But that can be a motivator. And so as these folks are gathering together, he's looking at the host going, look at all the folks that you're bringing in here. Why is it? You know what? Invite the ones that have no chance of repaying you whatsoever. Invite the ones over to your house that you simply get to serve and care for. Invite the ones in that everybody else says they have no reason to be there at the dinner. Bring them in. Because you're not going to get repaid for it. And going to bring joy into someone's life that they may have never known in some other way. How honorable is that? Take care of the ones that are the most needy. Take care of the ones that everybody else overlooks. There's a lot of honor there. The next parable that we didn't get to read was about a host of an event as he was speaking to this host, right? And told him what he needed to do, and then he told him a parable. He said a king was having a feast. And at that feast, he invited all of the ones that needed to be invited, and for well-intended purposes, they all declined the invitation, and they all walked away and said, we don't need to be part of that. We got our own thing going on. And so he told the servants, hey, we'll bring in all the folks from the streets and the alleyways. And the servants were like, we already did that. There's still room. There's more room. You can bring more people in there. And he said, you know what? Go beyond the streets and the alleyways. Go outside the gates. Go to the highways. Go to the bushes. Go to the places outside of town and grab them and bring them in. All the ones that think that they need to be far away, bring them into the presence of the king. 
bring them here for the meal. And they ran out and he filled his dining hall with all the people that were on the outside, all the people that would have been living in shame. He honored them. Not because of who they were or what they did, but because the king loved to feed and the king loved to take care of people and the king was giving them his honor. It's interesting when you start to think about where Jesus was headed when he was teaching all this. He was headed to the cross. A place not in the middle of town, a place not in the streets or alleyways, a place outside the gates, out in the bushes, out in the mountaintop, sitting outside the gate where all the shameful things were. He went out there and died for all of the shameful things. So he would take all of that shame and all of your shame for whatever it is that has weighed upon you in life, he took that shame upon himself. It does not mean that we live without shame now. We know that the things that we do shame God's name and bring dishonor to Him. And that's what we ask forgiveness for. That's what we seek forgiveness for. That's what we long for, is forgiveness for these things that do not honor God's name, do not keep it holy, and bring shame upon that name. And it's in those moments that he works again to speak his word into your life to say, my son died for your shame. He's bringing you into my presence. He's the one that went out to the places outside in the highways and bushes and everywhere else to bring you into the presence of the Lord so that I, the king could feed you, so that you are forgiven, so that you would be gathered together in the honor of God and know that there is nothing that can take you out of that. Because Jesus Christ has died for you and taken your shame upon himself to give you the honor of the Son, the righteous one, the glory of God. See, glory is another great way to talk about honor. And you have God's glory. He's given it to you freely. He's wrapped you up in it and called you his very own and looks forward to the day that not only are you in his presence in kind of hidden ways here, but to where you're in his presence in eternity, sitting around that table where there is no head or foot or lower or higher, but everybody in the equal presence of God because of the righteousness of Christ that's given to you. You are honored to be called God's child, honored by God himself as he calls you his very own. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor which you have given to us so freely that we have never once deserved, yet you have given it to us to call us your own. We look forward to that day where we will be in your presence in full and wonderful ways. And we thank you for this day where you come into our presence and gather us together with you. As your word is spoken into our ears, as your blood and body, Jesus, are served into our hands for the forgiveness of our sins, we thank you for all that you have done to take away our shame and shower us with honor. In Jesus' name, amen.